This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. We've been in a series on our vision and values. Our vision is captivating generations with a satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is that our vision? Well, Satan's way with Adam and Eve is his way with you. Satan got Adam and Eve to think if only they could eat from the one tree God told them not to eat from, they would achieve their full potential. And of course, the irony of the story is that Adam and Eve got what their hearts wanted most, and they became a thousand times worse than they were before. This is sin's way with us. This is Satan's way with us. He gets us to buy into a greener grass conspiracy. And what makes that so deceptive is that there was nothing inherently evil with the tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was part of the six days of creation that God declared to be exceedingly good. There was nothing evil about the tree. It was a good tree. This is the way sin operates in our lives. This is the way our enemy operates. He takes good things in our lives, and just like he did with Adam and Eve, he prods us to take steps that change the nature of our relationship to those good things. Good things like career, money, romance, family, human approval, even religious activity become ultimate things in our lives. And just like in the garden, we find ourselves reaching for them, taking them, and ultimately restless, empty, broken, and far from God. C.S. Lewis said it superbly. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of human beings trying to find something other than God which will make them happy. We were not meant to be satisfied with anything but a relationship with God. And the gospel is all about restoring our relationship to God. And it's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can find that again, that we can experience communion with God and ultimately find rest and satisfaction for our souls. That's our vision. Now, we've been thinking through some values we need to hold on to resolutely, to embody as a church if we're going to get traction in accomplishing our vision. Here they are. Value number one, the Bible. God's word is an extension of God himself. The Bible is no ordinary book. God so identifies himself with his word that to obey his word is to obey him. To disobey his word is to disobey him. To read his word is to encounter him. Think about this. God created the universe with words. Think about the power they must possess for that to be able to happen. Now imagine what happens when God's word is proliferated among us and into our community and world. Second, gospel centrality. The gospel is effective. The gospel is powerful. It gets things done. It accomplishes things. It saves people. It changes people. And we don't need to dress it up in order to make it more palatable to a finicky world. 
We need to communicate the unadulterated version of it and trust it to accomplish things. The gospel is good news. It's captivating all by itself. It doesn't need our help. Third, gospel community, the church is a taste of heaven. The church, global church, the global church, not just this church, the global church is meant to be a harbinger of the new heavens and the new earth. It's meant to give people a taste of heaven. Church history is replete with stories of churches that possess sound doctrine, but they had communities none of us would ever want to be a part of. In the church, people are meant to experience a community of relationships that are very different from any other community out there. The church should be a breath of fresh air. Francis Schaeffer said it this way. He said, if we do not show beauty in the way we treat each other, then in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of our own children, we are destroying the truth we proclaim. If we do not show beauty in the way we treat each other, then in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of our own children, we are destroying the truth we proclaim. The church is meant to be a breath of fresh air, a unique community in the world. Fourth, prayerful dependence. Prayer is ministry. We looked at this last week. Prayer is not a prelude to ministry. It is ministry. Prayer is not a prelude to ministry. It is ministry. We looked at this overlooked aspect of prayer last week. We looked at Paul's, the Apostle Paul's radical view of it. When we pray, we throw ourselves into the trenches with people. When we pray, we join them in their difficulties. Prayer is never a waste of time. It's always a fantastic use of your time. And our last value is outward engagement. The church is commissioned to expand. And this is what we're going to look at today. Perhaps the most well-known passage demonstrating this value is Matthew 28, the great commission passage as it's come down to us. Jesus is speaking. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, when you look at Jesus' words here, he wants more of something. He wants more of something. What does he want more of? He wants more disciples. Notice it doesn't say Jesus says he wants more converts or church attendees, disciples, baptized believers who seek to learn to obey everything Jesus commanded. When the number of disciples increase, the church expands. The church has been commissioned by Jesus himself to expand. Now, there are numerous aspects to this value that we could unpack. We could talk about personal evangelism. We could talk about mercy and justice ministries. Today, I want to focus on missions. I want to talk about missions. Here's what we're going to look at. It's very basic. What missions is... And how ABC can participate in cross-cultural missions. Okay, what missions is and how ABC can participate in cross-cultural missions. First, what missions is, we need to do some Bible study today. Okay, we're going to do some Bible study today. Because the term missions has been defined in so many different ways, I'm not sure that any of us are clear on it anymore. Okay, so we're going to do some thinking on this. We're going to do some thinking on this. First of all, we need to remember that the word missions does not occur in the Bible. You might be surprised to find that out. The term missionary doesn't occur in our English Bibles. Now, don't panic. 
Neither does the word Trinity. And we hold to resolutely a doctrine of the triune God. The word gospel, the word justification, the word covenant, the word sanctification, redemption, all, are the, all those are words that actually appear in the scriptures. All this means is that it's easier to get at a definition of those words than it is to get at a different definition of words that don't appear in the scriptures, such as missions. Okay? So we need to figure out what this is. Fun-filled etymological fact. There's your word of the day. Etymological. Etymology is what? Yes, the study of words. More specifically, the study of the origin of words. Did you all hear who answered that question? Welcome to the huddle of nerds. I know him. That's the only reason I'm saying that. We get our word missions... (laughs) We get our word missions not from a Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic word, which are the languages, the original languages of the Bible. We get our word missions from a Latin word, mitere. Mitere. So, this word, mitere, means to send. To send, or sent. So if we work backwards, and we start with the definition, we'll discover that there is a biblical word that means to send. Or sent, it's apostoline. It's used 137 times in the New Testament. That, to me, seems like the most logical place to start if we're going to construct the definition of missions. Let's start with that. Apostoline, 137 times in the New Testament. Means sent. Okay, two questions that fall out of that. Sent, who and what? Who is sent and who does the sending and what are they sent to do? Seems logical to me. If the word means sent, mitere, apostoline means sent, this is missions. Who is sent and who does the sending and what are they sent to do? Apostoline occurs most prevalently in the gospel according to John. Not acts, as conventional wisdom may lead us to think, but the gospel according to John. So, we're going to do a little bit of study very quickly in the Gospel of John. The first question is, who is sent? The first thing that we learn is that Jesus is sent. John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here it is. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 5, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. John 6, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. One more, John 8, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. What do we learn from this? God started missions. (laughs) And Jesus is the first missionary. Missions is God's initiative. It's his idea. He started it. And the first missionary is Jesus. The church did not come up with this idea. The church did not think this up. They did not invent this idea. God did. It's his idea. 
And Jesus is the first missionary. So we see Jesus is sent, and he's sent by the Father. The third question is what? What is Jesus sent to do? Just in John's gospel, mind you, we see three things. First, Jesus is sent to save the world. That's John 3, 17, right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but he sent his son into the world to save the world. Jesus is sent to save the world. Second thing, in John's gospel alone, is that Jesus is sent to accomplish works. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. Okay, this refers to a, a number of things in John's gospel. All of Jesus' miracles certainly are in view here, but it also intimates the climactic miracle of Jesus' death and his defeat of it. Jesus is sent to do that. And third, Jesus was sent in order to send out the disciples. John 17, 18, as Jesus is speaking, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. John 20, 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. See, three things, just in John's gospel, Jesus is sent to do, to save the world, to accomplish works, and to send the disciples. Okay? Who is sent? Jesus is sent by the Father. Who else is sent? The disciples are sent by Jesus. For what purpose? For what purpose? John 17, 18 and 20. I'm not going to read it for you now, but you can check that later. The disciples are sent to communicate the message of Jesus Christ. That's what they're sent to do. So Jesus is sent to save the world, to perform works, the climax of which is the cross and resurrection, and to send the disciples. The disciples are sent in order to communicate the message of Jesus Christ. That's just in John's gospel. Just John's gospel. Now this idea that disciples were sent in order to communicate the message of Jesus Christ, when you, think, when you hear that, you think, well, duh. Maybe some of you think about the most frequently cited or seemingly most frequently cited missions verse, Acts 1.8. Let's read it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, let's get context here. Jesus is speaking to the 11 post-resurrection Speaking to the 11, this, is, this occurs after Judas betrayed Jesus, but before Matthias has taken his place. He's speaking to the 11, and he says basically the same thing he said to the 12 in John 17. You'll be my witnesses, communicating the message about me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pause there for a moment. There's four regions that Jesus talks about in Jerusalem. Let's think. The 11 are around him. He's saying, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What is in Jerusalem for the disciples? What was Jerusalem to the disciples? Well, it's basically their hometown. It was a hub of activity for all of them. It's basically the home region. The disciples are sent to bear witness to Jesus in their hometown. In Judea, what was Judea for the disciples? It's basically their home state or their province. Just a little bit broader geographic area, but still local. Jesus is sending the disciples to bear witness to Jesus in their broader geographic region. 
Third is in Samaria. What was Samaria for Jesus' Jewish disciples? This is less about geography than it is about a kind of people. Samaritans were on the other side of the aisle. You know what I mean by that? They were on the other side of the aisle. Samaritans believed and behaved very differently than the Jewish people. Jesus is sending the disciples to bear witness to him to those with very different worldviews than their own. So let me pause here and state the obvious. All disciples are sent. So far, these three geographic areas have to do with domestic missions. Let me state it more provocatively. All Christians are at the very least bivocational domestic missionaries. All Christians, all Christians are at the very least bivocational domestic missionaries. Now, you may live in the U.S., you may work in an office or from home, but if you follow Jesus, you have been sent. Jesus has not given us leeway to get out from underneath that calling. We're not permitted to say some are sent, some are not. We're not permitted to say those who are sent are those who go to different countries. We'll talk about that in just a minute. All Christians are at the very least bivocational domestic missionaries. You might have a full-time job in the marketplace, but Jesus has not given us the out of saying we are not sent. All disciples are sent. Now, it's not until the very last phrase of Acts 1.8 that we have to the ends of the earth. Now, we've gone international. Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria is domestic. Now we're going international. And this is where Jesus' reference to all nations in Matthew 28 intersects with this phrase. Now, typically, when we hear Jesus' words, all nations... Make disciples of all nations. What do we think of? We think of geopolitical countries, don't we? We think of a country with a name, Pakistan, India, Indonesia. We think of a geopolitical country. But that is not how a first century hearer would have understood this phrase, all nations. All nations is not a reference to geopolitical countries but ethno-linguistic people groups. Ethno-linguistic people groups. Ethnicities of differing languages. So if Jesus was here and he was talking to Alliance Bible Church about all nations, our minds shouldn't automatically go to countries, geopolitical countries outside the United States. If we're thinking about all nations the way Jesus was thinking about all nations, we should immediately go to ethno-linguistic people groups outside and inside the borders of the U.S. In Matthew 28, Jesus has in mind ethno-linguistic people groups, not geopolitical countries. Um, one of the missions arms of the Christian Missionary Alliance is called Envision. Basically, it's the short-term missions arm of the Alliance, and they have sites all over our country and the world. There's a site in Cleveland, Ohio. Some of you may know this, but there's a significant Somali population that resides in the Cleveland area. 
The Envision site in Cleveland is reaching that population. That is cross-cultural missions, even though it's inside the U.S. So when Jesus told his disciples to go make disciples of all nations, he certainly had in mind the Somali population living in Cleveland. So on the one hand, it's correct to say that all Christians are sent to be missionaries. The moment you became a Jesus follower, you committed to bearing witness to Jesus wherever you may reside. That's domestic missions. On the other hand, there will be some people who feel a burden to be witnesses to a particular ethno-linguistic people group and feel a burden to do so as a full-time vocation. Okay? There is a distinction to be made. There's a sameness and there's a distinction to be made. It's both. Let me attempt to put this in some biblical categories. The Apostle Paul was a cross-cultural missionary. He sought to make disciples of various ethno-linguistic people groups. He traveled to Asia. He traveled to Achaia. He traveled to Macedonia. Not everyone in the New Testament did this. In Colossians, Paul sends greetings to a woman named Nympha. There's a church that meets in her house. Presumably, she lives in Laodicea, a neighboring town of Colossae. She resides there, and because her home is the host for a church, she probably has some kind of job locally that, her, that affords her a decent living. She's got a very different role than the Apostle Paul. Erastus was Rome's public works director who was part of the church there. But unlike Paul, neither Nympha nor Erastus are cross-cultural vocational missionaries. They are bivocational domestic missionaries. Now most of us in this room, if not all of us, are domestic missionaries. We have been sent by virtue of the fact that we follow Jesus. We have been sent by Jesus to bear witness to him in our Jerusalem, our Judea, and our Samaria, but we do not serve the function of cross-cultural vocational missionary. Like Nympha, like Erastus, and so many others, we generally stay put. So, what would, what would Nympha's, Erastus's, and others' relationship with Paul, the cross-cultural vocational missionary, what would their relationship to him be like? What's the nature of that relationship? That's the second point I want to unpack for us. How ABC can participate in cross-cultural missions. Our missions leadership team has come up with a very simple, but I believe spot-on way to think about how we as one particular local church should engage in cross-cultural missions. It's pray, give, go. Pray, give, go. Let me unpack that. First, pray. You'll recognize this passage from last week, Romans 15. Paul writing to the church in Rome, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. Here's what's striking about Paul's language. He says, join me. Join me in my struggle. We looked at this last week. Join me in my struggle. It's not a call for the Christians in Rome to travel 2,500 miles to Judea on his missionary journey. It's a call to join him in his struggles, in his difficulties, in the challenges that lay ahead for this missionary trip by praying. 
prayer sends us into the trenches with people. By praying for Paul, the Romans, the Christians in Rome, are sending themselves into the missionary trenches with Paul and they're joining him in his struggle. See, prayer is not a prelude to ministry. It is ministry. It's not the pregame show. It is the game. Paul is saying when you pray, you transport yourselves hundreds of miles away and you're getting in the ministry trenches with him. Prayer is doing something. Prayer is missions ministry. So by praying, we join cross-cultural missionaries all over the world in their work to make more disciples. Let me give you a tool to use. You ever, how many of you have worked with Operation World? Raise your hands nice and high, Operation World. Okay, great. This will be new for most of you. Operation World is the definitive prayer guide to every nation. It's the definitive prayer guide, very definitive prayer guide for every nation. So it's got information on geography, the people groups, the economy, politics, the religious makeup of every country. And then it's got a section on answers to prayer and challenges for prayer. So it gives you a prayer list for every country on the planet, for every nation on the planet. This is a, a very practical tool to have in our cross-cultural missionary endeavors. Pray, give, go, pray. This has got stuff for you to be praying for for the next year, every day, without fail. I'd encourage you to pick it up. Pick it up. And have this as a part of your prayer life. Second is give. Give. 1 Corinthians 9 Apostle Paul, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. That last sentence summarizes the theme of the entire passage. The Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Clearly, this includes, but is not limited to, those like Paul who are cross-cultural missionaries. Cross-cultural missionaries should be financially supported by local churches, often separated by quite a distance from those missionaries. Now we see that, that's in principle, we actually see this in practice in Philippians 4. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. 
We have the church in Philippi, one particular local church in Philippi, financially supporting Paul, the cross-cultural missionary. And the language of it indicates that their financial support of the Apostle Paul was ongoing. It was not a one-time deal. We get involved in cross-cultural missions through giving. And I would encourage you that if you're not giving regularly to missions, start doing that. Start doing that. Check it on your envelope. Give online. There's a missions category. Give through the app. There's a missions category. Start giving to missions. Let me introduce you to some people on the screen here. Mike and Alyssa Piccinato. Mike and Alyssa. Johanna, Caleb, and Joshua, they serve as cross-cultural missionaries in Berlin, Germany. If any of you are familiar with East German history, you know this is a tough place to go. It's a dark place spiritually. But Mike and Alyssa and their kids left the United States and are there doing cross-cultural missions work, trying to reach a very dark part of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ed and Sue Doniker, they're in Thailand. It took seven years as missionaries. It took them seven years to get one church started. Seven years of grinding away to get one church started. That happened in 2014, and now that church has just birthed another one. Noe and Kyla Hernandez, their kids are Magdalena, Santiago, and Eden. They serve as missionaries in Paraguay. Uh, You'll be happy to know Santiago is an avid Packers fan. (laughs) I'm not sure how many games he gets to see being in Paraguay, but he's an avid Packers fan. One more, Jeff and Amy Lane. Jeff is a physician who serves at a hospital in Gabon, in Africa. One of the great things the Alliance has done over the history of um, its existence is start hospitals. Jeff is a missionary physician. He works at the hospital. Simultaneously, he's discipling, uh, discipling other medical professionals who work alongside him as well as patients that God opens doors for him to be able to Speak with them about those things. When you give to missions, you're giving to them. When you give to missions, you're giving to them. And hundreds of others just like them. I would encourage you to make missions giving a regular part of your giving. If we added 100 additional giving units to missions, giving just $10 a week, we would add $52,000 a year to our missions giving. 35, 37% increase. That would be amazing. I would love to see us add 100 additional giving units, units that have never given to missions before. 10 bucks a week. Translates to $52,000 in the course of a year. Mike, Alyssa, Ed, Sue, and others would benefit from that greatly. Last is go. Pray, give, go. Alliance Bible Church has an incredible track record of sending out missionaries. Um... I actually know very few churches that have sent out as many missionaries per capita as ABC, and that's a sign of health. So let me throw it out there to you to consider it. Consider it. If you're a high school student, college student, maybe God's prompting you to think about this, to be a missionary. Maybe it's for you it's a second career, like it is for so many of our missionaries. Maybe it's a second career. But think about that. Now, I realize that 
going from where you are now in life to being a full-time vocational cross-cultural missionary may seem like a big leap. Well, instead, dip your toe in the water through a short-term missions ministry engagement. This is what I love about Envision. Envision is the short-term missions arm of the CMA. Tim Meyer, Dr. Tim Meyer was with us back in April. He's the head of Envision. We heard about that. I want to invite up one of our own, Grant Miller. Grant, come on up here. Um, Grant spent uh, two and a half months this summer working with Envision Ecuador. And I want you to hear about his story here a little bit. Before you tell your story, come on up here. Um, before you tell your story uh, briefly, where does God have you in life right now? What's, what's happening? All right. Um, like you said, I'm Grant Miller. Um, I'm a, going to be I'm going in my fourth year at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Um, I'm studying accounting, and after I graduate, um, I have a job at a local accounting firm. So, so you're set. That's nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, so like you said, I went to Ecuador this summer. Um, spent two and a half months there. Um, it was just really cool to see like what God's doing down there. Um, Envision partners with a local ministry called Inklink down there. Um, Inklink is in Ecuador, Colombia, and Peru. Um, so the short-term team from Alliance went to Peru this summer, um, the Peru location. Um, so my, I spent, um, my main mission when I was down there um, was in a garbage dump community. So two years ago, the community or the city um, kicked out the families that used to live inside the garbage dump. Um, their living was finding plastics, um, glass, other different materials that they can sell um, and make money off of. Um, and so they kicked them out. Um, and so they live just on the outside um, of it. Um, some of them still do live inside because they work for the city. Um, but it's really cool to just see their community, um, to see them helping each other. Um, so three days a week, um, Monday through Wednesday, um, we would go up to the community and we would share Bible stories, share the gospel with them. Um, and then we would play games, crafts, and we would feed them. Um, and then we also had short-term teams um, that came down, and um, there's four short-term teams that came down, and they would kind of help us with the ministry. Um, they also helped us paint um, a bunch of the houses in the community. Um, there's some pictures have some of the houses we painted. Um, and so it was really cool just to see their joy and their enthusiasm um, when we were painting their houses. Uh, the local missionary there, uh, me and him went, walked around about a week before the short-term teams came, and we were asking, like, the families, we're like, oh, what color do you want your house to be painted? It was just so cool to see, like, these people just so excited, like, oh, blue, no, yellow. It was just really cool to see them super excited about, like, a little thing, just about painting the outside of their house. Um, and then also, it was really cool, one day, we were, in the morning, we painted a bunch of houses, and then we came back in the afternoon for the ministry with the kids. Um, and we were coming down, the garbage dump community is kind of on a hill, and we were coming down towards the city. And one of the dads of the houses we painted stopped us, and he's like, he's like, I just want to, like, thank you guys so much. Like, I haven't eaten in five days, but, like, my house looks beautiful. And he was just overjoyed. It was just super cool to see, um, just see God's work. Um, another cool thing is, um, yes, it is a children's ministry, but also there is moms that sit and listen as well. And while I was there, God, um, through the ministry, God brought two of the moms to Christ, which was really cool to see. And then the last day I was there, we also were able to share the gospel to the kids. 
and we, we have prayed the prayer with them, and so I don't know exactly um, if some of them actually like, meant it, but it was just cool to see them repeat the prayer um, and just be super enthusiastic about Jesus. Um, yeah. Why, why did you go? Um, it was just two and a half months? Yeah. Um, so I think the coolest thing is just the different stuff in timeline that got provided. Um, two years ago, I went to Peru with this church on a short-term team, like 10 days. Um, and just after that, like, I just felt the call to just go back, um, whether it was go back to Peru to a different location. Um, and one thing that I kind of was thinking about is, like, where to go and then also how I'm going to pay for college and pay for the summer. Um, and so God, like, provided for me tremendously. Um, he, provided for me, he provided for me a job in the spring to help me pay for school and then also just provi- provided me finances from fa- friends and family and also this church um, to go. Um, and to be able to fund my trip down there. So it was really cool to see God's work through that. And you'll talk to anyone about this, right? Yes. If anybody wants to talk about it, um, they have, like, this is a, so they have four locations in Ecuador and then one in Peru, and interns from the United States and from Canada all came down. So I met, like, 10, 12 um, people from the nation that came down and worked as interns for the summer for two and a half months um, with Inklink that partners with Envision. And um, I would love to talk to you. Um, you can be, it's any age above 18. Um, there was two years ago, I know they had a guy that was like 60-something that came for the summer. So you're never too old to go to an internship. Um, and so, yeah, it's really cool. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for throwing that in there. Yeah, that was great. No, definitely. Like, it's just cool to see. Oh. <laughs> uh. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for sharing with us. And make sure you get a good look at this face. You'll see it around a little bit here and there, right? You head off to school soon. Yes. But uh, um, talk with him about it. I'm sure he'll gladly try to sway you into making a trip to spend some time there. Thank you, Grant. The church is commissioned to expand, and we play a role in that by being domestic bivocational missionaries in our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and by partnering with cross-cultural vocational missionaries through prayer, giving, and going. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, the way in which your church expands. You use ordinary people like us to do that work. And uh, God, I pray that even if the slightest um, bit of prompting is taking place in one of us, in some area of it, maybe it's in the area of prayer, maybe it's in giving, maybe it's in going, maybe it's all of them, God, that we would not just um, squash that, but that we would be attentive to um, that prompting. We do want to pray, God, for the advancement of the gospel worldwide. Uh, in our Cedarburg, in our Grafton, our Mequon, our Port Washington, our southeast Wisconsin, and to the ends of the earth. God, I pray that you would even now be um, causing people to be receptive to the next gospel engagement they have. And God, that you would draw people to yourself. We praise you that this news is so good, we want to shout it from the mountaintops, and that we want to see it spread. Pray your strength, your blessing to be upon that. In Christ's name, amen.